It's the dark chocolate. It's the important part. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's good for your heart. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that was, what, first quoted by a doctor who was addicted to chocolate, right? Yeah. Uh, Lord, help us. All right. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, invite you this morning. Lord, deliver your word straight to our hearts, Lord Jesus, in a way that would life be life-changing, life-altering. Lord, today as we talk about faith, Father, we pray that you would stir something new and fresh in us. Lord, as we pursue you, Lord, that we'd never be the same again because of you and because of your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I want to tell you just a little bit about a discussion I had with God a while back uh, about tithing. In this message, I'm just going to give you the preface. This is not about tithing, but this is just kind of to, to preface the conversation. So um, a while back, I had uh, had a discussion with the Lord, and the majority of my adult life, I, I've been a tither, right? I, I believed that uh, it was kind of a... Uh, it wasn't even necessarily an accurate belief according to Scripture, but I believe that as long as I give, everything will be taken care of, right? I'll have money in the bank, I'll, all our jobs will be secure, everything will be fine and, and perfect, the hot tub will always have nice clean chlorine in it. I mean, all would be just, just as it should be, blissful in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Seth, Right? <laughs> Well, that all sounded nice and great and everything until life hit the fan and, and took a dive south. And uh, at one point, my wife lost her job. I lost my job in the same week. We uh, ended up having to put our house up for rent and get out of it as quick as we could so that we wouldn't lose it. We moved in with the in-laws, and I remember thinking, Lord, what happened? I've been doing everything right the way that I was supposed to do it. Why did my life end up where it is right now? And I was scratching my head and, and trying to figure things out. Actually, I wasn't even trying to figure things out at that point. I just kind of threw, I, I hadn't quite thrown in the towel, but I'd, I figured, you know, it's, it's, life got to the point where it was like inner tubing behind a boat. You just hold on for dear life, right? I mean, you, you don't have a plan. You're not doing anything except holding on, trying not to fall off. And that's what I was doing in, in life at that point. And as I began to come back around and, and uh, knew that I love Jesus, I love God with all my heart, but see, my beliefs and my lifestyle, my beliefs and, and my theology weren't lining up. And how many of you know that, that, when that when that happens, we don't shape our God by our beliefs, we allow God to shape our beliefs, don't we? Right? We don't shape our God by our beliefs, we allow God to shape our beliefs. So, see, so here I am with this, this, this uh, belief about tithing this doctrine, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to get into the Word of God, and I'm going to find out what it says about tithing, because the Bible says in, in Malachi chapter 3 that we can test God with, with, with our tithe, right? This is, giving is the one area God says, test me in this and see if I don't blow your socks off. And I figured, I did, and it didn't work. I tested God, and somehow I felt God had failed me. Because my life t took a dive. But see, now looking back, I can see where God had taken me from point A to point H through, through all this different stuff to, to establish me where he wanted me to be through the process of life not going the way that I thought that it should. So, so here I am 
deciding I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop a doctrine that, that is bulletproof about tithing. I'm going to get in the Word of God. And I had come to the conclusion that tithing is not for the New Testament church. And I had a bulletproof doctrine put together about it. And so I decided, one day as I was praying, um, the Lord had spoke to me uh, just, just a, a very specific word. He said, give. And I thought, okay, I can give. I can give without, without tithing because I don't believe in that anymore. <laughs> right? And so I, as I began to focus on opportunities that the Lord had set before me to give, to be a generous person, I realized that, wow, I'm really stingy. Maybe that's why God told me to give, because I'm having a hard time letting go of this green paper. This is, this is, this is weird. Okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best in this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give where I can. And so I began giving uh, in, in different areas, and, and one day, every time I'd give, this, this topic would come back up. And I decided one day, Lord, I'm going to take this to the Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it, and I'm going to show God my case, and I'm going to ask Him, what he thinks about this. And so I prayed for about 20 minutes, and I went down this long list of scriptures and all these things that I, that I had put together, my case for my finances. And I prayed for about 20 minutes, and as I was, I, I was finished praying, and I said, Lord, what do you think? Speak to me, God. And I closed my eyes up, and I waited for about 20 seconds. And something just kind of resonated in my soul and it was just the voice of God and he said, he said this, Seth, without faith it's impossible to please me. And I was like, oh, stink! <laughs> See, don't you love it? You know how like when you, you can tell God all the stuff, right? You can spend an hour in prayer and when the Lord speaks to you, he can tell you a sentence, he can tell you a word and it totally just sets things up for you, doesn't it? I mean, he's got a way of just speaking in a way that is just, well, it's God, right? It's, pro- it's profound. It's simple and it's profound, and we understand it with, with, our, with our mind, our body, our soul, everything. We just, we just get it. And I thought, once the Lord spoke that to me, I mean, that's clear. That's, that's the word of God that the Lord spoke to me. That, I mean, that's in the Bible. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. Right? And it goes on to say that first we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But the, the first part of this is what spoke to my heart because it, it sets something off in me. And it was this. I thought, this is a big deal. I mean, this, this is really a big deal. See, if it were just a financial problem, if it were just a money problem, that wouldn't have been a big deal. That would have been just, just a, an area of my life that I could focus on getting better. But what I realized was... That's not just a money problem. It's a faith problem. And see, as a believer, a faith problem infects and infests every aspect of our spiritual life and our physical life as we follow after Jesus. See, faith is is the thing that, that intertwines and intermingles into every fiber of who we are. It's not just a little sliver of our life it is our life. See, in, in Hebrews 10.38, it says, the just shall live by faith. Right? That, that doesn't mean we should just live by faith. Right? It's saying that the justified, those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who have given their life to Jesus and put their trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sin, 
will live by faith. So what's the big deal? Allow me to introduce you to oxygen. All right? Here's oxygen. Here's an a interesting, interesting fact. In fact, this is kind of a bunny trail, but um, this is part of what's called the teleological argument. Essentially, it's the case for creation, right? The teleological argument. And what the argument is is simply this, that anything that was designed or has intricate workings has a designer. The earth, the universe, everything we know has design and intricate workings. Therefore, the universe and the earth has a designer. Right? There's evidence that God is who the Bible says that he is. There's evidence that we were created. Right? So, the teleological argument. And, and here is, here's something that's called the, uh, the um, anthropic and an anthropic constant. There are constological constants and there are anthropic constants. An anthropic constant is a constant that's in our atmosphere. It's in our in our earth. It's it's where we live. It's who we are, right? And then there's constological constants. That's the things that are out in, in the universe, out places we can't see. And essentially what these things are, are things that line up just so we can have life on earth. A constological constant would be the distance the, the sun is from the earth, the distance that the moon is from the earth, the gravitational pull from the moon on the earth, the fact that Saturn is the size that it is and the distance that it is away. If it were any further away or any smaller, the earth would have been wiped out by, by asteroids long ago. Right? There are thousands and thousands of these things that line themselves up just right so that we can have life here on planet earth. Thousands of them. But oxygen, right? We have 21% oxygen in our atmosphere. And we go about our day, everything's good and normal, we breathe, we have life, all is well, right? If, if the oxygen level on earth in our atmosphere were 25%, the, the, the relationship between nitrogen and oxygen would be out of balance in such a way that fire would erupt everywhere. We'd be dead. 4% difference. If it were 15%, we'd all suffocate and die. Right? See, I watched the Discovery Channel just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> Anybody else? Right? But here's something that we, that we all know about oxygen. If our brains don't get enough of it, we turn into a vegetable, don't we? I mean, there, there's not a single person in the room from, from, from 5 years old to 95 years old that doesn't know that. So, it, it's, it's a big deal, right, that, that we have oxygen. In fact, science, scientists now will tell you that somebody in a vegetative state, they can, some of them can hear. They can perceive things. They can, some of them can even see things. They can't, they're, they're not moving. They're not interacting with the world around them, but there's something going on still in here, right? But let me tell you this. They're not going to play tennis. They're not going to base jump off the space needle. They're not going to fly like a bat off a cliff in one of those flying squirrel suits. Right? And please forgive me if, if, if I sound uh, insympathetic. If you know somebody that's in this state or you have a junior hire, please forgive me for my insensitivity. But here's the thing. Without faith, we will become like spiritual vegetables. Right? We may see 
the things going on spiritually around us. We may even hear the word of God. But we won't be active in the life that God's called us to. Jesus said, I came to give you life, life more abundantly, right? And that's why the scriptures say the just will live by faith, right? It's when we walk in faith that we're truly living the life that Jesus wants us to live. But it requires that faith, right? It requires that faith. See, we hear verses like Matthew 21, 22 that says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you. We hear verses like uh, Mark eleven twenty two that talks about moving mountains. If, if we have just enough faith. And, and John fourteen twelve that says, Whoever believes in me, the things that I do. This is Jesus talking. Whoever believes in me, the things that I do, you will also do. This is the kicker. Greater things will you do because I go to the Father. Man, that sounds big. And see, we try to reconcile these things with our own lives, and sometimes we wonder why we come up short, don't we? I mean, I wrestle with that. We, we all do, I think. In fact, 84% of people in the U.S. claim to have a faith in God. They believe in the miraculous. But even less than half of that number have ever experienced the miraculous. In fact, it's almost an astounding uh, 30% of that 48% that say, it's not that I have necessarily had interaction with the miraculous, but I know somebody, or I heard somebody say once, right? It, it's, it's down but like between 13 and 16% of people who are born-again believers that claim to ever have had an interaction with the miraculous, that surprises me because I, I would think that being Christians and living by faith, we should be involved in the miraculous every day, shouldn't we? Sometimes we chalk it up to not having enough faith, don't we? I don't have enough faith. You ever hear anybody say that before? I just, I just don't have enough faith. We call things like losing 20 pounds a miracle. <laughs> right? I go, go in the bathroom and get on the scale Holy Jesus, I lost 20 pounds. Wait a second. Did you take that scale back to Costco and exchange it yet? Wasn't a miracle. Never mind. Right? We look at things like passing a class as a miracle. I mean, we, we put all these different things. In fact, I, I drove through the... I hate to even admit it, right? Because I'm going to be judged. I drove through the McDonald's drive through And... Uh, there was a sign on the side wanting, asking for donations for the Ronald McDonald House, and it said, you can be part of the miracle. And we, I think in, in our culture, as Christians even, we're so detached from what the miraculous really is that we start calling the miraculous all sorts of things that it's not. Right? The miraculous is when only God can do something. It's when God does something that requires nothing from you whatsoever in the sense of in the sense of let me back up there's, see there's, there's two ways to look at this number one there's the miraculous it, it's God at work right and then we have the providential the providential is areas where it could be a coincidence it's an area in life a thing that looks like the miraculous but maybe there could have been some coincidence involved there and 
we, we most of the time look at that stuff as the miraculous because we're so detached from what the miraculous really is. And it's where God comes in and he does something that's so astounding and so signature series that it blows your socks off. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying our lives should look like. Those who believe in me, the works that I do, you will also do. Greater works than these we do because I go to my Father. That says miraculous to me. One of the things that I've, I've done uh, ever since I've been a follower of Jesus is I'm always looking for what I call signature series works of God. Right, you guys have all seen artwork that has a signature on the bottom of them. And, and in fact, I made this, this terrible mistake of ordering a painting on eBay. And the, the advertisement was this beautiful picture with a signature on the bottom. And I thought, man, this, this looks amazing. This picture, it's nothing like I've ever seen before. This would look great hanging by my dining room table. So I, I clicked buy and I ordered it and I got it in the mail. It wasn't the same. There was no signature and it looked like a, a seventh grader painted it. It was supposed to be an oil painting and it was painted with house paint. Right? And then probably put in a big copy machine. Who knows, right? But the, the, the thing is I looked at this and I thought, man, that's not, that's not what I thought it would be. Right? And, and I think God is waiting for opportunities to show us signature series moves of God in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. Those things that are, that are unique, those things that are unique to him, things that only he can do. See, as a result of, of lack of the miraculous, miraculous in our lives, we're seeing the number of people who give their life to Jesus and stick it out dwindling. See, when research is done of how many people are giving their lives to Jesus, the numbers are huge. I mean, millions and millions of people every year come to church and respond to the salvation message. But when they go back at the end of the year and say, how many of these people can we account for? It's something like nearly 80% of those who respond can't be accounted for in the church. It's a terrible number. And it breaks my heart because the thing is, following after Jesus isn't, it's not a, I raised my hand and said yes to the Lord and that's the end of it, right? It's beginning to walk in faith. It's beginning to put your trust in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, right? For the miraculous, for the things only he can do, for the life change only he can bring, for the hope that only he can restore, for the love that only he can refresh, Right? So let's talk a little bit about, the, about faith this morning. What did Jesus say about faith? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What did Jesus say about faith? And it seems it wasn't necessarily the most encouraging thing. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 14. It says this in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into a boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterwards, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy winds. At about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking it was a ghost. I get a kick out of that. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I'm here, don't be afraid. 
And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you and walk on the water. All right, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and he grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Or in some of your Bibles, it may say, you have little faith or you have little faith. And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. See, I absolutely love this story. So here's, here's Jesus, and he's teaching, and he sends the disciples away to their boat to go back across, across the water. He sends everybody home, and he tells them, I'm going to go pray. I'll meet you guys on the other side. And it's late in the evening, and they head out into the water, and they get a distance into the water, into the sea. And the Bible tells us it's it's gets to be at the point of 3 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. It's cold. It's, it's The wind's blowing like crazy. The waves are huge. And these men are scared to death. They're terrified for their lives. They're terrified for their lives. And they're, they're probably praying. They're freaking out. They're doing all this stuff, trying to keep the boat from... from capsizing from drowning in the water and all of a sudden they look out and they see through what may be fog and wind and huge waves and water splashing all over them here's Jesus and the Bible says that that they screamed in terror I always get a picture of that goat (laughs) screaming and so here they're afraid because they see what they think is a ghost, and and Jesus says to them, hold on, hold on, it's just me. In this massive storm that's going on, Jesus comes to them, and and now they they see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I would have been hiding under a bench somewhere, right? Don't we do that when when stuff's going difficult in our lives, right? We're, We're praying, oh, Jesus, make it stop. Make it just go away. I mean, I I do that. I absolutely freak out when when lousy stuff comes in my life. You know, what's interesting about the New Testament church, the apostles, the apostolic church, which is, which is sometimes we get the apostolic church, the early church mixed up. The apostolic church is the church right after Jesus went to heaven, went to be with the Father. The, the apostles are leading the church, and they're the ones, obviously, who wrote the majority of Scripture here. And what we see is when the, when the church was facing difficult things like persecutions and, and all these different trials... Jesus told these guys, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. It's done. Not once do we see the apostles say, God, take away our struggles. Instead, we see things like, when trial comes your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. That's nuts. Right? We see that throughout the entire New Testament of areas where, where they were struggling with a difficulty and the apostles, the leaders of the church said, hey, we're going to press through this thing. But, but here we have Jesus walking on the water. He shows up to the boat, and, and I can imagine he's like from me to you, right? Just right here through this big storm. Because, I mean, you can't see very far, right? Through fog and water blowing everywhere. And, and so here he is. Jesus is right there. Everybody's watching the storm. And Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. Man, I could just imagine being right there being soaked by these waves and, and 
being with the disciples and, and thinking, here's Jesus. And then Peter says, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says, come on. And so the Bible tells us that Peter goes to the edge of the boat. And he lifts the leg up and he steps out. And he stands on the water. Standing on the water. And he takes steps towards Jesus. His eyes are focused on Jesus. And Jesus is looking at him. And he, he begins to walk and he takes steps, and he's thinking, I'm going to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something happens. The Bible tells us that he begins, the stuff that was in his peripheral vision, the things that were, were now quieted in his mind because he's locked on Jesus, begin to all of a sudden come back. Right? He no longer has that tunnel vision fixed on Jesus. He's seeing the circumstances, the situation he's in, and he's thinking to himself, I'm standing on water. This is not possible. There are winds and waves everywhere, and the boat's going to sink. And we, just a minute ago, we were thinking we're all going to die. This can't be real. And the Bible tells us Peter began to sink. And, and he calls out, Jesus, help me. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and helps him back to the boat. And, and we all know what he says. You have little faith, right? You have little faith. I don't know about you, but if Jesus just said to a guy that walked on water, you have little faith. What does that make me? I mean, that's like negative faith. I mean, that's like faith minus 18, right? On, on the scale of like zero in the middle of like no faith and then negative faith. I mean, I'm way back there because when, when, when rough stuff's coming on, I'm running, I'm running and hiding. I mean, I'm praying, but I'm like, God, help me not to die. Please make it go away. I'm like a, I'm like a spiritual ostrich. Right, head in the sand, and as soon as this is over, Jesus, you just come tap me on the back, and I'm gonna pop my head out, and all will be well. Right, but I don't want to see the stuff that's crazy going on. And Peter did it, man. Peter was walking on the water. He's walking on the water, and Jesus says to him, "You have little faith." What did Jesus mean by that when he said that to him? Because here he is, man, he, he's on the water. Let me pause for just a minute. I want to I tell you this. Faith will always require that you get out of the boat. Right? This is a simple point, and, and, and it's one I, we, we could tell to, to fifth graders or, or, or 95th graders. It doesn't matter. This is a simple point. Faith requires we step out of the boat. When we walk in faith... If we're going to be people of faith, there's going to come a point, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggle, no matter what your storm, no matter what your situation, where the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the, the Scriptures are going to call you to step out of that boat, to step over the edge into something that's going to be challenging, something that's going to be terrifying. doesn't matter. It's going to take that step. For you, that step may be you've been going to church your whole life, you've been sitting in churches hearing about Jesus, and, and you've thought, you know, I like, to hear, I like to hear the messages, I like to be around the people, but maybe you've never taken that step to put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus to have an eternity secure in heaven with the living God. I believe that the Holy Spirit would want to poke you in the heart this morning and say, take that step, step over that edge today. Stop fiddling around with it and make the choice. Right? Make the decision to follow after him. You'll never, ever regret that you did. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
old things have passed away and everything's been made new. I don't know any time I've ever received received a gift from somebody that, that was this new thing and thought, wow, this is really terrible and old and disgusting, right? When we get something new, a gift from somebody, we love it. It's amazing. Man, somebody thought of us. Man, God wants to make you new and fresh. And it starts by putting our faith in him and believing that he can forgive our sins. He can make us new. He can make us right before our Heavenly Father. So I want to challenge you guys this morning. If that's you today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never taken that step to say, yes, today I'm deciding to put my faith in Jesus. Lord, forgive my sin. I believe that you can restore my life before God. Do it this morning. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus says, Jesus says, you have little faith. Here's what I think he was saying. See, if we look back in, in Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus talking about worry. Jesus says to this crowd that's gathered around and with his disciples, he says to them, if anyone of you worries, well, let me think, hold on, let me, let me back up. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting dyslexic for a second. If any of you by worry, how many of you by worrying could add a single cubit to your stature? That's what he says. How many of you by worrying could add a single cubit to your stature? Essentially what that's saying is, how many of you by worrying could add a single inch to your height? Can add a single measurement to your height? That sounds weird, doesn't it? Because by worrying, have you ever thought, oh no, I'm worrying. I, I, I won't grow anymore if I continue to do this. No, it doesn't make sense. It's weird. But see... In their culture, they knew there was something different in what Jesus said that made sense. And in a lot of our Bible translations today, just in the last decade, there's been a change to the translation. And it says, how many of you by worrying can add a single day to your life? Right? That makes sense to us, doesn't it? When we read that, that makes sense. There's a difference in the wording. And essentially, it's the same thing that's going on here. When Jesus says, you of little faith, See, when, when Jesus is talking about worrying, he's not talking about height. He's talking about distance. And it's the same thing that we see here. Jesus isn't talking about volume of faith. You have little faith, a small amount of volume. He's talking about distance, duration. Does that make sense? He's not saying, Peter, your faith is small. He's saying, Peter, your faith is short. Peter, your faith, it wasn't quite long enough. See, what's interesting is with the storm, all of a sudden, Jesus helps Peter back to the boat, and the storm ends. Done. Waves are gone. Peter had a little tiny bit further to go before all the things that were distracting him from keeping his eyes on Jesus would have been gone. But Peter allowed the, the situation and the circumstances he was in to influence his faith, didn't it? It cut it short. See, we don't have a problem with small faith. We have this myth, I think, in, in Christianity that, that we have to have more faith. We need more. I, I don't know that if I can trust God for this thing because I just need more faith for it. I, need to, I, can't, I don't know if I can believe God for that because my faith might not be big enough. We have this myth that we need bigger faith. Church, listen, we don't need bigger faith. We need less distracted faith. It's not, it's not a problem with size of faith. It's a matter of distraction. It's a matter of longevity of faith, duration of faith. Um, 
What do you you call it when endurance of faith? Right? It's an endurance problem. Listen, Jesus verified this in Luke chapter 17, verse 6. He says this, when the disciples came to him, see, they thought the same thing that we do a lot of times. They came to Jesus. Jesus, we need bigger faith. Jesus, give us more faith. Jesus, how do we have more faith? And here's what Jesus says to him. He says, if you have faith the size of a tiny mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted from the ground and thrown into the sea. It'll be done for you. Jesus didn't say to them, if you have a tiny mustard seed and you add water and it grows like a sponge, then your faith will be just right. He didn't say, if you have this mustard seed and... and uh, he wasn't talking about volume. He, was, he, he pointed out the smallest thing he could think of, mustard seed. And he says to them, if your faith is this big, this big, that's what it takes. It's the seed, there's only one faith. The faith that God puts in the human soul that allows you to say, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus to wipe my slate clean, to forgive my sins because I want to be right with the Father. That's how much faith you get. That's how much faith there is. It's, it's a tiny amount of faith that it takes to say yes to Jesus the first time. Right? It's this tiny amount of faith that, that we're given to say yes to Jesus. Tiny amount of faith. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be big faith. It needs to be faith. Right? And it needs to be faith. See, here's the thing, though, with, with, with the seed, this, this tiny mustard seed that Jesus is talking about. See, seeds don't do anything when they're just sitting there. They do something when they're planted, don't they? Right? It's not about size. See, you take a mustard seed and you plant it. You put it in something. You invest it into something where you can't see it. Right? The Bible says that that we will live by faith, not by sight, right? So you take this mustard seed and you put it in the ground where you can't see it anymore, and in another season, it produces life. Right? You put it where you can't see it, you leave it there, and in another season, it produces life. My kids, uh, about, I don't know, a couple of years ago, now probably time goes by faster than you think, uh, they decided, hey, we're going to do an experiment. We want to we wanna grow something with a seed. And so they got this bean seed of some sort, and, and I got them a, a, a glass plastic cup or a, a clear plastic cup with some dirt in it, and they got the seed, and they stuffed the seed down in there and put water on it. And they're like, they were like, we're going to document this thing growing. It's going to be awesome. Put it in the kitchen window and left it there. And uh, I thought, we'll just check this thing in a couple weeks, and all will be well. Well, a couple hours later, they went and pulled it out of the kitchen window and pulled the seed out. They went, did it do anything? Whitney's going, Taylor, did it do anything? No, they're examining it. They throw it back on top and come back the next day and pull it out of the ground again and look at it. It's not doing anything. What's wrong with the seed? It's broken, Dad. They throw it on the counter and go do their stuff, and I take it and stuff it back in the dirt. Next day, they pull it out of the dirt again and play with it and still not doing anything. And, and they're wondering, what's going on with this seed? Why isn't the seed doing anything? Well, the seed never ended up doing anything, and we threw it in the garbage can. 
right? See, faith, like a seed, you got to put a seed down in the ground. You got to leave it there, right? You got to stuff it down in there. And that's essentially what's going on with Peter. Peter is looking at Jesus and he's invested his faith into Jesus, the small amount of faith. He's put it on Jesus. And that's what, that's what we're called to do. We're called to take this tiny amount of faith that we all have that, that when we've said yes to Jesus, we have this faith, and to put it in Jesus, invest it there, and leave it there, right? We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, don't we? See, it's not about having more. It's about keeping it planted in Jesus. It's about keeping it buried down deep. See, we plant our faith in Jesus, and, and we don't pull it out. We gotta leave it there. We gotta leave it tucked into Him. When we bury our focus on Jesus, the vision He's given you. See, listen, I don't know what miracle you need in your life. Only you do. You know the things that the Lord's been speaking to you. Maybe He's been telling you He wants to do this thing in your life, and you're thinking, I don't have enough faith. Uh, that's too big. Right? Whatever it is that would be the edge of your boat, whatever that water would be to you, maybe for, for some of you it's a cure. Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a, a, a child who is doing some stupid things and, and you, you want to believe God that better things can happen in their lives. Maybe it's you need a job. Maybe that's your miracle. Maybe it's your marriage. I don't know. Whatever your miracle is, you need to know if you've said yes to Jesus, you have enough faith for that thing. You do. It's already there. But the enemy wants to lie to you and make you think somehow that if he can... See, he wants to neutralize you, just like that vegetative state, right? He wants to keep us neutralized in our faith. He wants us just to hold on to it and go, if only it were bigger, if only it could get a little bit larger, then then I could say, Jesus, here it is. Is it big enough? And Jesus is holding out his hand with that seed going, but this is all it takes. We've got to put that thing into Jesus. We've got, to, we've got to turn our attention to Jesus, put our focus on Jesus. What's that look like? If somebody asks you, hey, have you prayed about this thing? And you say, yeah, I prayed about it. You're looking at it wrong. See, it's not past tense. That's pulling the seed out of the ground. Right? See, what we do is we plant the seed. We put our attention on Jesus. We, we pray about something. And then all of a sudden... We start focusing on ourselves again. What can I do to fix this? What do I need to do to resolve this? I somehow, I've got to do something because this isn't happening fast enough. Remember, it's in that next season. You plant that seed and you keep your eyes on Jesus and in that next season you reap a harvest of life. What's the miracle you need? You need to know this morning the faith that it requires to move that mountain you have. It's already there. Now we've got to turn our attention to Jesus and we've got to watch him until the storm is done. We put our trust in him until the storm is done. That means we pray about it until the storm is done. We get around other believers who will encourage us in our faith until the storm is done. Our attention is on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith until the storm is done. When things get difficult, we get into the word of God. Why? Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? You don't get more faith by the Word of God. It redirects your faith back to Jesus, doesn't it? That's why we read it. It redirects our faith back to Jesus. It doesn't give you more volume. 
It puts your attention back where it should be. What's your miracle? Close your eyes for just a minute. I don't want us to get beyond this point until you know what your miracle is and until, until you have, have, have something in your mind that you know Jesus wants to accomplish in your life that maybe you think is too big, too far out there. What's that thing today? Cure, a job, marriage, finances, kids. What are the things that distract us sometimes from from following Jesus? Maybe it's the size of your storm. Maybe it's being entertained. Maybe it's maybe it's we want to drown out our 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 storm with fun or with stuff. No matter what it is, no matter what we try to distract ourselves from the storm with, it's not gonna it's not gonna produce a miracle in your life. It's only Jesus that can do that through the small amount of faith that he's already put in you if you've said yes to him. And so this morning, if, if you're here today, you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to begin to walk in faith, you want to be able to believe him for miracles, the first one is the miracle of eternal life with him. And this morning, he wants to wipe your slate clean. He wants to set you before himself righteous and holy, not because of anything you've done, but because what he's done through his son, Jesus. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up? I just want to see you. I want to pray for you this morning. And you can know that you can leave here today having an eternal security in him, sins forgiven, righteous and holy before the Father. There's some day that every one of us are going to stand before Father God.